Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, evolving methods of providing legal service, and law practice issues. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I'll be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held business, tax, trusts and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Today's episode is on future-proofing your law practice. My guest is Reed Trouts, Senior Director of the Practice and Professionalism Center at the American Immigration Lawyers Association. He also co-authors the future-proofing column, in the ABA Law Practice Magazine. So I'm going to admit that I'm going to give and take a little credit here. So I got involved in the American Bar Association many years ago, but it all started when I started my own law firm, and I went to dinner with Reed Trouts and Dan Pennington. And we had a really great conversation, and they kept a little track of me, and eventually I got this call and said, hey, we'd really like you to get involved. And the next thing I knew, I was on a plane on my way to one of their meetings serving on the magazine board. Ultimately, I became editor-in-chief a few years back. We made some changes to the magazine, and one of the things that Reed, I, and Dan Pennington are all are pretty passionate about are helping lawyers kind of rethink the way they practice and thinking about the future and really evolving practice methods and things like that. But so anyway, when I became editor-in-chief, then I asked Reed to... Uh, and he and Dan write our futures column, and it's a great column in the magazine, really worth reading. So can you talk to us a little bit about the magazine column, Reid? Sure, love to do that. And uh, all the credit goes to you because the light went on when you called and said, hey, there's this idea for this column. And we, uh, we've loved doing it for the last several years. You know, the column is about preparing your practice for the future, right? Uh, we get so busy in the day-to-day work, uh, client needs, but we have to take some time for ourselves away from the billable work and invest into understanding what's changing the practice of law. What do consumers want? And that's what this column is about. It helps lawyers to uh, identify and understand those factors and trends, uh, not only so you can meet the client's needs of today, but also to keep your practice relevant, ethical, and profitable into the future. And so the column appears at lawpracticemagazine.com. 
And some and some of those issues, you've actually interviewed people who are doing some really innovative and amazing things, right? And so it's totally worth a read. So read which factors or trends do you think are currently really changing the practice for solo and small firm lawyers? Well, there are a number of factors, but I have to say that uh, legal technology continues to evolve. Um, lawyer re-regulation and how uh, lawyers and others are regulated in the delivery of legal services, changing consumer needs, which is related to generational switches. We're going to see a big change in the generational switch coming up here. And also global flattening, the ability to uh, um, send work and have work done uh, really anywhere around the world. Those are really among the strongest uh, trends that are uh, impacting the practice today. So can you talk about the lawyer re-regulation and what's going on with that? I'm familiar with like Arizona, I believe, has currently allowing, um, not historically, right, we've only allowed licensed lawyers to own and practice, engage in legal practice. And that's one of the changes that's happening. So what's going on with regulation generally? So uh, I think at its genesis, the, you know, re-looking at how lawyers and I'll say it, non-lawyers or others are regulated is really happening because we have not seen in the past 30 or 35 years really any change for consumers in terms of lowering the cost of legal services, right? There's been numerous studies done and uh, they find there just isn't that access to justice that the courts and others are looking for. So now they're looking at, well, how can we change the way the profession is, is regulated, can we allow others to deliver those legal services in a secure, in a professional manner? And so, as you said, we're seeing Arizona really at the forefront has basically, uh, will allow um, many people to come in uh, and, and provide service. And the big one uh, as of the last uh, week is LegalZoom. And LegalZoom is now saying, instead of being an independent uh, network of lawyers, they now want to employ lawyers through Arizona to provide legal services. We're seeing regulatory sandboxes. Those are experimental, you know, not quite full-blown, but experimental pilot projects in Utah. Um, uh, and we're seeing states look at this now uh, from New York to Florida to Illinois, many more states are saying, should we change our regulatory scheme too? And right now, uh, Canada, just the uh, Law Society of in uh, Ontario just changed, and they're going to be allowing, have a sandbox. So about half the lawyers in that country are now under these new regulations that allow for others to provide legal services. So uh, this is something, a uh, trend to continue to watch, and I think will have a, a greater impact as we go forward in the next uh, few years. One of the things that gets said about some of these changes and like what's going on in Arizona is that, well, what's going to happen there is they're going to serve the commodity market, and that's going to help increase this access to justice. But if you're LegalZoom, is that really what you're going to go after is the commodity market or are you going to go after the high end market? I mean, like, well, think of, look, I, you're an investment bank, right? And now you're in Arizona and instead of like having not being able to practice law, 
you know, do what happened in the healthcare community. Aren't you going to hire like the newest grad out of law school and have them do what lawyers traditionally have done outside and not have to deal with law firms anymore? Uh, I, I believe that's, that is where this trend is going to take us. And all we have to do is look at uh, a company like Deloitte, right? One of the big accounting firms. They already provide legal services in 80 countries. Uh, they do a lot of their work in Canada. I'm very familiar with the immigration process. They do, they do U.S.-based immigration, but they do it in Canada where they're allowed to do it because they can't do it in the United States. And they have hundreds of lawyers doing it. So uh, I think we're seeing it from the top of the market that will impact larger firms, and we're seeing it at the consumer side of the market where LegalZoom will start to get in, and then the, uh, the market will fill in from there with others who are coming in to uh, provide services uh, that are different from the way lawyers now provide services. So do you anticipate that the legal profession is going to go the way of the the medical profession, where we're going to have lawyers all employed by some system? I, I think that's going to be a trend, but I think that's that will take a long time. There still are, is a lot of local uh, influence in the practice of law, right? I know we have you know big national firms, but for most consumers who need services, they need it in their local community. So it's going to be a while before we have, uh, I think, those large you know, ultra large firms employing, you know, thousands of lawyers in in hundreds of offices across the country. Well, let's talk about what is changing with consumers. And I have to tell you, I was talking with a couple of my associates yesterday. And so this is not my term, but they said they're like closer to the 40-ish age in the millennial group. And they said they're being referred to as the geriatric millennials. And I thought, what? And that came up in the context of they actually like listening to Fleetwood Mac or something. But I do know then we have a younger, just out of law school associate who's like, I, I plan on being able to get my will done through Instagram. And I'm like, what? That's never going to happen. Or we're going to use blockchain. So you do have, and, and even you know, with some of my clients who are older, I, I represent, I do a lot of trust and estate work. And so I have a lot of clients who are older. They have different expectations about the way we deliver services. So can you speak to what's going on with consumers and particularly, because I think lawyers sometimes think about what they want to deliver rather than what the consumer wants and how can you get that mindset shifted to really have an awareness of what consumers are looking for? I, I, I agree with you, Mary. And I think the, the best example is we look at the way other services in the marketplace are being delivered and how those have evolved right? I mean, how many of us remember travel agents, right? Um, think about when you used to go and get uh, your pharmaceuticals, you'd walk into a store and now you're getting them delivered online. You're getting your groceries delivered online, right? This, the, the, the millennials, that generation uh, that is uh, really started in 1981, it was people born from 81 to 97, is 87 million people strong. That's larger than the baby boomers were. And those people are now are just starting into their uh, biggest um, consuming, the, the, the time in their lives where they consume, where they spend the most. And they're all used to being online. They're used to uh, uh, 
you know, getting services through a phone app or certainly through a computer. And so we've got to look at that and say, are our systems, our traditional delivery methods within the legal profession, are they there to meet those needs? And that's, that's all about future-proofing. It's evolving your current systems and processes to meet the needs of consumers. And those consumer needs are changing. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. So can you talk about the changes in technology in the legal profession and what you think has the legal industry kept up with technology? Is that something we really need to look at? So to some degree, our the technology we've kept up as a profession. Yes, we've been behind other places, but um, other t- areas of, of business and areas of commerce, but I think more and more we've adapted and adopted the technology. We don't have the best technology, which is why the current um, investment, the venture capital investment in legal technology really is going to be helpful because I think that's gonna help us get better products. But at the end of the day, the technology we've been adopting really helps us deliver services. And I think what we need is more client-facing technology, technologies that help the client gain access to information. And so that while they need a lawyer, they also want to use the technology to access what they need and only to the extent that they need it, right? So if they want to download a document, they can do that. If they want to you know, create that themselves or fill it in themselves, fine. But if then they also want to have a lawyer review that, they can add that as a service and pay for that. And there are very few firms that are able to do that today. But frankly, I think that's where we're headed over the next 5, 10, uh, you know, even 20 years. This isn't going to happen overnight. But if we're, if we're you know, early on or mid-career, it is going to impact us. And, and we need to make those changes starting now rather than later on say, whoops, I'm way behind. Um, no one wants to spend that kind of time and money then. We need to invest it now. And I think part of it is in, in law practice, and I do a lot of trust, estate, and tax work, right? There's a relational component. And I think sometimes that attorneys think, that, well, the relational component requires that I deliver services this way when there's other ways to relate and to continue those relationships. Now, I know that I'm heading next week 
um, as we're recording this, I'm heading off to a legal technology conference. I'm personally fascinated with the artificial intelligence concept. And part of that is because so often if I'm talking to a client, I'll just use a simple example about a healthcare power of attorney, which frankly, I'm actually passionate about because I think what happens at the end of the life at the end of your life is a hugely big deal. But a lot of people look at that as a template. So we've looked at, okay, well, it's not really this is about when you're dying. So let's have a serious conversation. But at the end of the day, what I explain to the client is almost always the same. There's some differences in how they view it, I have to figure out, you know, what are their religious beliefs, if that applies, bioethics, things like that. But I'm really, we're taking a look at the artificial intelligence in terms of those services in the hopes that that'll give a little more client facing that we could take that information out. And instead of like spending an hour with me going through that, and sometimes an hour, it does have value in the relationship, but help deliver them some pieces of the information that they can think about differently. With all these different forces at work, so the changes in technology, the changes in the industry, changes in the way consumers want services delivered. What, can, what guidance can you give lawyers in terms of their practices? So on, on the most practical level, I would say uh, now is the time to start uh, building in time in, in, your, uh, in your week, in your monthly schedule, build in time to look at these changes and to um, identify places in your practice that, that can be changed make it an evolution. It doesn't need to be a, a revolution at the very end where you realize, oh my goodness, you know, I'm, I'm irrelevant now. Um, so it's building in time now uh, to pay attention to these things and to say, where can we start in our, our practice? And, um, I'll, you know, one, one way is to look at automating different parts of your practice. Uh, many lawyers are moving to automating their intake systems using a number of different tools um, uh, to you know, have clients set their own appointments, to uh, have uh, electronic uh, signing of their uh, representation agreements and all through that process. But I think one of the areas that I'm really excited about when you talk about artificial intelligence are really uh, what I see, you know, what are chatbots and what I'm calling paralegal chatbots. And these are, you can build them now. Uh, there are systems already uh, that companies that do this after pattern and uh, Joseph and a few others that are allow you to take what's in your brain and put it out uh, into a computer system uh, so that the computer can do this. So for a paralegal bot, you could have a whole series of questions that you ask a client on intake for a trust and estate. And those chatbots can either, the client can either respond by put, inputting that, you know, with a keyboard, or they can speak that into the, into the computer. And so they can spend that time doing that entire process click a button, send it back to you or your paralegal to review it. So rather than you having to spend time, you know, 45 minutes or an hour with that interview, the computer has done it and you only need to spend a little bit of time paralegal cleaning up the work or uh, inputting it into your system, or maybe it automatically goes into your system. So we're seeing those tools right now happen and it's becoming familiar with those tools. You may not adopt it today, 
but you're looking at your systems, you're looking at your process and saying, this is something we're going to do in 20, you know, 2022 or 2023. And better yet is the part where we like to have that's those, that information come in from a source and actually then connect and become answers files in our document uh, drafting system, right? That's kind of the best case scenario. So Reed, you have a quote from William Pollard on innovation, and I don't know if I pronounced that name correctly, so let me know if I haven't, but I'd really like you to share that and your thoughts on innovation. Sure. Um, uh, William Pollard was uh, the C- he's a lawyer, but he was CEO of, of uh, ServiceMaster, which includes companies like Terminex, True Green, Merry Maids, a number of things like that. Um, and we've seen those companies kind of grow in, in the consumer world. And he writes that the arrogance of success is to think that what you did yesterday will be sufficient for tomorrow. And history is filled with success stories of innovators and also failures of those who just stood pat. So it's it's a good lesson to say, let's not practice law like we really have for the last, you know, many, many decades. Let's look at how we can do this in the future, because as we see with this generational change that's coming upon us, the consumers are wanting that change. So let's deliver it. Let's do it now so we can remain profitable and don't become irrelevant. So if you're a law firm that really hasn't embraced innovation yet, how can you get started? So you know, there are a number of obstacles, right? We have ethical concerns. Oh, is this ethical? Can I do it this way? We have concerns about change. Oh, you know, lawyers, we, we don't like change. Um, we have, uh, you know, we're not sure all our partners are on board with us. If we're in a small firm, do some want to change, others don't. You have to work through some of those issues and they're, they're absolutely workable. Um, but you need to then start with clients and really talk to them and say, what are the obstacles to us delivering services the way you want them, right? Have some focus groups with some of your close clients. Uh, Maybe do a, a, a quick survey of potential clients in your market who, who maybe haven't contacted your firm and find out, you know, what, how do they want their services to deliver uh, so you you create this list of of really obstacles, really or or things that consumers want, right? And create that list, and then say, what can we change in our practice? What of these things can we do to create uh, a more inviting practice that is um, delivering services in a way that more consumers want today? And I think it's true for any business, but for some reason, lawyers particularly seem to struggle to really ask clients those questions. And I think it's just sometimes we don't really want to hear bad stuff about ourselves, or I'm not sure what that factor is. I know that even we, in terms of asking for reviews and asking for more feedback, it's like a little disconcerting, but extremely important because I think like the Amazon.com theory is, you know, it, there's the theory of be informed by your consumer, but Amazon actually says, well, be created by your consumer. You know, whatever you think of Jeff Bezos and supporting that, I'm not giving an opinion on, but they've done it. They've created a successful model by really saying what do consumers want. So, you know, each of the suggestions you've given, Reed, can be the topic of a whole podcast in and of itself. 
And a lot of these, you've written articles or had columns on almost every topic that we've talked about. So if we had to summarize, here's the keys to successful innovation, what would that list look like? So I'd first say, yeah, you have to be open to ideas. You have to be curious, right? Um, it's creativity is a part of innovation and we are creative. Lawyers are very creative. We come up with solutions for our clients all the time. We now have to inject some of that for ourselves, right? Um, we can't expect success on every, every project or everything we undertake, right? And we have to know that, that the, the first time we try it, it may not be the best, but that doesn't mean we have to wait till it's perfect to launch it within the firm or to you know, provide it to clients. Um, you know, Amazon was not the Amazon it is today a few years ago. We see the iterations of that. We can do that in our own firm. We have to align our effort with reward. So those who are working on innovation and those who are making that extra effort to help um, make uh, ensure the future of the firm, they should be getting some of those rewards. Um, we need to learn about design thinking. I think if one thing people did right after this podcast is to um, uh, Google design thinking and learn about what that process is for creative problem solving, I think that is will give people a clear roadmap and give them confidence that they can evolve into the future. And as we just talked about, rely on existing clients to help you innovate. You, every firm has a few good clients that you can go to and ask them for help because they've been with you a long time and they just may not have suggested the changes that you need uh, and they can help you. And finally, don't let yourself fall into the trap that you look around and say, well, no one else is doing it. Why should I? And the simple answer is you want to control your future. You want to be in control. Don't let somebody else plan your future for you. Uh, it's up to us as lawyers, up to us as firms to make those adjustments, to meet the consumer demands that are here and will continue to evolve uh, in the coming years. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of the points. I think part of it is really engaging everybody at the law firm, getting them invested in innovation. Sometimes we're running through the day, busy worrying about billable hours and getting things done. But one of the points you make is it does take some time and you have to invest that time. But I do know that over the last year, I did help many clients with business exits and certain estate planning strategies related to that. And when they come out of those businesses, they're often looking for um, different advisors for a variety of reasons to advisors they didn't need before. And I can tell you that in, in at least three instances last year, the winning advisor was the advisor who had the best technology solutions. And that for me was really eye-opening in the sense that it's like, wow, okay, consumers really do care about that. Well, any last thought, Reed? Just one of my favorite quotes from David Meister is, your billable time determines your income, but your non-billable time determines your future. Invest some of that non-billable time that you have into the future of your law practice. Well, thanks for being with us today, Reed. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Yeah.
Ahura Media Production.